Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Today is the mother of all, you know, of all family meetings, right? So we know that. We know that we're all going to be hearing Sona uh, given by President Cyril Ramaphosa. And I suppose one has to ask the question, so what, what will be different this time? Um, you know, what, what is different is that we're going to be spending less. That, that's, that's a welcome difference. Um, what is different is that we've got COVID-19. But essentially, what will be different in the content of, of that speech? And more importantly, what you as a South African are looking forward to hearing today. And I know it will be a speech, but more than that, one is also looking for what is actually going to be said that will be delivered on. That, I think, for me, is the bigger question. And so I've got a panel of guests. Um, it's a bit of a roundtable. I've got a panel of guests to discuss SONA today. And uh, Marius Ostezen is a lecturer at the University of Pretoria's Gordon Institute of Business Sciences and author of the book quite titled Economics 2021, Shifting South Africa's Debt Burden onto the Black Middle Class. I'm also going to be joined by Tessa Dooms, National Planning Commissioner and um, responsible for youth development. She's I'm not sure if she's on the line, but I do. Uh, I do hope she is. Let me welcome you both onto the show and thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pimelo. Good afternoon, Tamara. Good to talk to you. Uh, Marius, let me start with you. This piece that you've penned, really interesting. Um, and, and, and you are really going in uh, on, on what has gone wrong, essentially, um, with the ANC at the helm for the past 25 years and so on. And, and let me just start with what you think is at the top of that list of what you think has gone wrong? Well, I think that the difficulty always is that if we begin by criticizing the ANC, then it's easy for people to dismiss the criticism. And okay. Marius, I beg your pardon. Your line is so yes. bad. What I'm going to do is that we're going to put you back and I'm going to start my conversation with, uh, with Tessa while we sort that line out. And Tessa, thanks again for being with us. You are somebody that always talks about certain issues that we, we, we've, we've now come to understand. You're an expert in um, youth, youth being a black youth being a big issue, uh, civil society being a big issue in this country. When you think about today's speech, what are you hoping will be, number one, in the content of that speech? I think that there's no doubt that there's a, a balancing act between two things. One is um, managing the COVID crisis, and um, paired with that is the question of economic recovery. And when we think about the economic recovery piece of that, um, because we can get very caught up in the COVID side when we're talking about um, lockdowns and vaccines, and that's a very important thing. But in the economic recovery part, we really need some accountability around um, the economic stimulus um, plans that were made last year. We had a recovery document come out in October. We need to hear about um, youth jobs that were promised. We need to hear about why there has not been a full rollout of the uh, particularly SME um, funds that have been promised that have not been rolled out to the full effect. The $200 billion that has been um, put on as a provisional loan through the banking system. So we need to understand where we are at. We need an actual update, progress update on that part of it. And then, of course, the bigger issue is what we do in terms of social relief going forward, um, and particularly because we know that every time we have a harder lockdown, we have people who are put into um, huge humanitarian distress, and we need to know things about whether we're going to continue with any form of um, COVID relief fund, 
whether we've gotten anywhere with the discussion about um, the basic um, income grant. And so those are the kind of things we need to be looking out for because we need stimulus into the economy, but we also need a humanitarian protection net for people who are really being hit hard. Maurice, you do speak about the social relief um, and and how the ANC has always, uh, you know, used social relief and grants as as one of its cornerstones of policies. What's your take on what, what Tess has just said? I think that this is quite right. You know, the, the questions that she's highlighted are the important questions we need to listen for. But I would add to that that as South Africans, we can't afford to get sucked into the small picture and miss the big picture. And as I was arguing in that piece, you know, the ANC has done really well to distribute wealth, uh, to distribute incomes, uh, especially to the poorest of the poor. You know, we now have over 18 million people on social grants. But what it's done less well is to create the wealth that ultimately gets distributed. And we understand that wealth creation does not come from social grants and social distribution. Wealth creation comes from investment. Investment comes from having an environment that is investable. And I was in a meeting recently with a very senior business leader saying, you know, in the community of business leaders in our country, which is actually a very small community, there's a narrative that South Africa is becoming uninvestable because of a combination of the old things around corruption, issues of poor governance, issues of policy uncertainty. And so while we listen to the sonar to listen for those small details about budget allocation and government's immediate plans, we also have to think about the big picture and the long-term thinking in government and whether they've set the country on the right track. Tessa, you you just spoke about youth, uh, youth jobs. I, I don't see those youth jobs coming through. I mean, I, 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 are you more optimistic? I don't see them coming through. We, we really have failed in a big way, uh, even before COVID-19. And I'm not sure where those youth jobs are going to come from. Where do you think they're going to come from? Well, the youth jobs um, ultimately are going to need to come from a thriving um, SME sector, mm-hmm. um, a thriving sector of small to medium businesses that are supported, that are nurtured, that are funded, that um, have the, the, the range to kind of compete in the markets with the big monopoly companies. Um, and unfortunately, until we do that, we're going to have a saturation at the top with mm. big companies just not being able to provide the, the level and scale of jobs that we need in a quick um, amount of time. And so we need to be thinking about a strategy from above in terms of investment, but we certainly need more strategies from below that grow small businesses and take this idea idea of township and rural and village economies seriously in building ecosystems where you have local farmers supplying um, local retailers, where you have, um, you know, the numerous amounts of small businesses that we have in people's homes around the country somehow elevated out of those spaces into places where they can find better markets. We cannot rely on a top-down approach to um, a jobs crisis that Mm. is as big as it is. But the second layer of that is the one that we are working on currently based on the economic stimulus we have now, Mm -hmm. which is social sector jobs. And I've spoken about this Mm. a number of times. Mm. Tonight we're going to hear hopefully a breakdown of what the president is calling 600,000 short-term social sector jobs that have been created in the last six months. And I think that's important for us to listen to Mm -hmm. and see whether there is more space for that in the short term so that we can get more young people a foot in the door Mm. where they can get some work experience, they can understand how businesses run and organizations run and the state runs, and they can have a bit of a launching pad um, hopefully going into the future. That's interesting, Tessa. You speak about the short-term plan. Will this be sustainable? Is it something that we can build on to for long-term plans? 
I think it depends on a few things. I think it depends on whether or not we're able to leverage some PPPs, um, some public-private mm. partnerships. I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the way we redirect, for instance, ED spending and CSI spending to more productive um, work. So instead of saying mm. we're going to change schools, we need to be saying, can we use those CSIs to get more um, long-term healthcare workers in the community healthcare um, space? Mm. So I think there, there, are, there are some interesting innovations that we can make if we start to pool resources and get some social contacts going that don't only rely on business to create jobs or government to create um, interventions, but where we see a good mix of trust that builds contacts that can um, hopefully cross-subsidization in the economy. Maurice, Tessa is talking about two things, the SMME sector and the social sector jobs. I think that's really, really interesting. What does concern me, though, with the SME sector is that the red tape that you talk about on your piece still persists, and I don't know if we've got any, you know, any political will to do something about that. Well, I, I think I would go a step further. You know, I do agree that the PPE approach and, and these jobs that we've been describing are absolutely critical uh, that we can't move forward in the short term without them. But if you look at the big picture in the long term of South Africa, what we are seeing is what I would call a structural mismatch between the shape of our economy and the shape of our labor force. Now, what does that mean? It means that the the types of industries we have, the types of companies we have, simply don't have the labor absorption capacity to provide uh, employment for the majority of our people. You know, if you have a country with 11 million people of working age who are unemployed, you, can, you can't imagine those people being employed in these small-scale PPE projects or community-based projects for social upliftment. There is a point where we as South Africa have to ask the question, what is the big economic play that we are going to make in the next 10 to 15 years to fundamentally change the structure of our economy? You know, in many ways, we've, had, we've inherited an economy from apartheid that served a very small minority. That economy has grown in certain areas, but it's been shrinking in other areas. It's been shrinking in mining and mm. manufacturing. You know, we've got the lowest investment in mining since mm. 2012. Mm. And so the question before government is not so much how do we get the private sector and, and the private sector, how do we get government to form a compact for 2021? The question is how do we set the country up to grow in a big way in the next 10 years to create 5 to 10 million jobs? And I'll finish with this to say that, you know, we're a, a fairly small uh, economy. We've got a 1.4 trillion rand budget, give or take. We're losing revenue at the moment because we're in a recession. And so if you have a small economy like that, we probably need to mobilize in the order of a trillion rand in, in investment, lots of it from outside the country, as well as mobilizing internal long-term savings like pensions to really change the future of the economy if we're going to create those jobs we need. I'm going to take a break and I'll be back with you, Marius Ostezin, as well as Tessa Dooms. And I'll also take your calls on 011-714-2006. We're trying to explore what the country actually needs to take us forward. We are in a very difficult position and Sona is happening tonight. What are you looking forward to hearing this evening? 011-714-2006. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. All right, so we've obviously got some problems there. We were trying to play some voice notes. My guests are Marius Ostezen, lecturer at Gibbs, as well as Tessa Dooms. Marius actually just penned a piece called Economics 2021, Shifting South Africa's Debt Burden onto the Black Middle Class. We're really talking about SONA and uh, what are we hoping to hear from today's speech and what 
is required to move us forward. We are in a very dark place at the moment. COVID has done all sorts of things to our economy and, and really, I think, the social fabric of this country. But we obviously need to know about what the future holds for us and what is going to get us to that next place where we come out of the slump. Let me go to Colin, who's calling us from Cape Town. Good afternoon, Colin. Hey, and your guest. Hi. Hi, Colin. You know, I'm fine, fine. You know, I'm an old geezer of 73. But in my days, there was training, apprentice schools all over the country. Those who dropped out at, at, at the standard, well, those days, standard 8 and standard 9, they weren't university materials. They went into trades. The government used to subsidize companies that could make tradesmen. There they had a, 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 a technicon in town. Uh, you did your practical at your work, and you got paid for it, your practical. Then you went twice a week in the evening to do your theory, your drawings and things like that. You went on to NDC 2 or 3 or 4, you know what I mean? Now the government should encourage companies, give them a, a, a tax incentive or something like that, and coax them. And we can, we, in those days, I'm talking about the 60s, 70s, 80s, we manufactured, we were turners, fitters, you name it. But now we haven't got those manufacturers in our country. It's all our raw materials is leaving our country, going over, coming back at the hang on the price we're paying for. Where are our apprentices? Where is our apprentice schools? The government can't continue just giving out money for people unemployed, unemployed, unemployed. Spend money and, and get uh, schools, uh, trade schools going. You know what I mean? Things like that. Colin, you're calling from Cape Town. Tessa, those FET colleges, do they do the work? Are they are they what's required for this economy for young people? They certainly don't go far enough. Um, what we know about the FETs is that they do provide a base of good vocational um, skills and training. But there certainly isn't a pathway from FETs into the, the labor market in the ways that they should be. We are underutilizing, for instance, the CETA process. Mm. We do exactly what um, the caller from Cape Town was talking about, caller from Cape Town mm-hmm. was talking about, is actually possible where government has the stipends that it can pay while students are learning. It has the ability to trust um, those people into a actual workplace where they do those apprenticeships. And of course, we need to get the workplaces to, to tap into things like the EPI, the Employment Tax Incentive, um, and other kinds of programs that government is supporting in order to actually absorb some of that labor. So we have the systems there. They're Mm. just not working optimally at this point. And SMEs particularly are not benefiting from them in the way that I think they should. Why why is that, Tessa? Well, the problem is that we don't really have a vision around SMEs, Mm. right? So when we we encourage SMEs, we're not giving them a space where there's Mm. entrepreneurial training and support that is consistent. Mm. A lot of our SME support sectors like um, CEDA, CIFA, Mm. IDC Mm. are simply just doling out money. Mm. And that's not a support for an SME to actually grow and develop over time. Mm. So we need a bit more of that mentorship and support. But there's also all of those red tape things um, spill into, for instance, HR. Um, The cost of, of bringing in somebody... Um, into your company when you're an SME 
it's not only about the cost of, of labor, mm. which is a really important thing, mm. but it's all of those other things that you need to be putting in place. It's UIF. Mm. There's, there's all sorts of things. Mm. So we need to start thinking smarter about the ways that we will make it easier for people to be brought in. And of course, if you're an SME, you don't have necessarily the resources to mm. train. So again, things like Colin was speaking about where you incentivize someone to be able to get on the job training. There, there are mechanisms to do it. We just need a more systemic approach and we need to stop just giving people money and provide an ecosystem of support that is viable. Manuel, you're calling from Cape Town. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Manuel, and uh, good afternoon to your guest there. Good afternoon. Uh, I just want to give uh, my own suggestion specifically to the our criminal law. Mm. Uh, you find out, I was listening to Sekina this afternoon about ESCOM. Could you imagine 840 million spent on a project, wasted project? Mm. Oh. Uh, the Treasury spent over spent uh, 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 200 and something million. Now, what I'm saying is uh, the way out of this is that we should help our criminal justice system to be able to prosecute these people that are stealing our money. You see, there's no kind of economic strategy you will put down. If you put down the strategy and then you make it easy for people are still going off when they steal money, they resign, it still amounts to nothing. So my suggestion is that we should help build a stronger criminal uh, system, uh, 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 justice system, that will actually not 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 a uh, you know kick block system actually get these people discipline them in the way they're supposed to discipline you know and then get back the money i think that is my own suggestion on that on how we can go about helping ourselves mm, thank you so much for that emmanuel um Marius, I want to just come back to you because I know you've got to go. Uh, you were speaking about some things that need to be done to change the structure of this uh, this economy. Are they quick wins? Can we do something that can give us some short-term gains? I think they absolutely are. You know, I, I love the comment by Colin about the way we used to use skills in the, in the 70s and 80s. You know, if you look back at that time of South Africa's economic development, there was a cluster in the economy that worked together. We had uh, from an ESCOM to a Transnet to an ISCOR between energy and steel and logistics, you had a government that was investing in heavy industry and heavy infrastructure, which created the demand for those laborers that, that Colin was talking about. Now, in our new reality, we don't have another opportunity to create a new ESCOM and a new Transnet. But what we have to do is take those institutions and point them at the, the future economic clusters that we want. And I think to your question about quick wins, you know, in energy, we have a country that's in need of an energy transition from mm -hmm. coal to renewables. Mm -hmm. From and, and in the water uh, system in our country, we need to remove from, from old potable water systems, bulk water infrastructure, to recycled water systems. Now, if you just took those two clusters of shifting the energy transition and the water recycling transition, there's a mammoth opportunity for SMEs, for artisans, for skilled people, uh, on a small scale in their community to be building the solar panels, building the, the, the infrastructure, building the water infrastructure that would transform the systems of this country. And so what that means is that government has to change its perspective from a government that wants to uh, use ESCOM as a piggy bank 
or use Transnet as a piggy bank to a government that says, how do we take our state enterprises with the other corporations in our economy and how do we point them in the direction of the type of economy we want to be, an economy where young people with newly, newly obtained skills can become SMEs, don't want to employ them in the state. We don't want to employ them in large corporations. We want to create hundreds of small businesses that are highly competitive, highly agile. And I think if we took that perspective, there's all kinds of opportunities to unlock all around us. Maris Osses, and I've got to let you go, but we'll continue with you, Tessa, after the headlines. It is 1.30. Let me go to Utsile Saku for the latest in headlines. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. We're discussing SONA today and uh, what solutions this government can literally present to us. Solutions that are actually workable. I have been speaking to Marius Ostezen, a lecturer at Gibbs, and he just penned a piece called Economics 2021, Shifting South Africa's Debt Burden onto the Black Middle Class. Tessa Dooms is still with us, National Planning Commissioner for the Youth Development. Um, she's responsible for that. And we've just been throwing around some ideas. And Tessa, I want to come back to... Uh, Maria spoke about new types of jobs. We, we really are battling with what we currently have. Where are these new types of jobs going to come from? Who's going to train these young people with these new jobs that are going to make us uh, compete with, with other global players? Well, certainly I think Maris is uh, spot on. When we think about the night, we need to listen out for the question of infrastructure both mm. and the ways in which we're going to leverage the many backlogs in service delivery that we have mm. many issues in terms of um, the, the built environment that we have not reached um, at the full capacity yet. How do we use that as a impetus for getting young people working, for getting SMEs involved in the sector? I think that's absolutely crucial. Do we have the capacity to train those young people? Do we have the capacity to mm. bring those SMEs in? Absolutely. That is without a doubt. Mm. We have um, a wide um, spectrum of FETs in this country mm. that just need the support um, and need to be bolstered a bit. We've got um, a growing, um, I would call it an ecosystem as well, of organizations that are doing some work around SME development, and we could leverage on that. Um, and I think we, we just need to be systems-oriented. Mm. We need a government that can lead and bring these things together so that they work as a system um, and so that you don't have especially young people just coming out of school or coming out of university and having to chart the path for themselves and figure it all out by themselves because that's really where we are now. You know, Tessa, every time we speak, you bring up some points around the fact that we do have the skills. We do actually have the capacity. There's just a bit of disconnect with how some of these skills are being utilized. Some who are more cynical would say, well, it's obviously deliberate that some of these things don't talk to one another because once you have these gaps, then there will be room for corruption and so on. In your view, having worked also closely with lawmakers and understanding what actually goes on in the background, why is there such a disconnect between what it is that we aspire to get and what you often highlight as actually being here, but not actually connecting the dots so that they work together. What's the problem? So I was saying um, that we look to the sauna tonight mm. for things around COVID, mm. things around the economy, mm. but also things around the capability of the state. Mm. And the capability of the state requires us to say, is the state 
able to do what it says it wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, do we have the right people in the political positions? Mm. Um, what are we going to do to stabilize the DGs in our in mm. our system? We mm. have, uh, I think, a turnover rate of about two years. Mm for DGs in this country. Mm. That's the average that they stay. Mm. That's incredibly unstable. Yeah. Um, so we need to ask, do we have the, the know-how within the system to not only write policy, but all the way down to municipalities mm-hmm. to actually get the machine of government moving in the right direction? Mm. But of course, there's the second tier of that, which is accountability. Mm. And there we are lacking sorely. Mm. The reason why systems don't have to talk to each other is because people create systems. Yeah. We have a lot of political systems going on within the um, public sector. We have a lot of systems going on in the private sector mm. and because people don't want to be accountable. Mm. And even in the NGO sector, we need to be very clear that mm. the NGO sector also has a lot of money being pumped into mm. it mm. with no accountability. Mm. There's almost more accountability for businesses and the public Gosh, sector. That's the elephant in the room. That's the elephant in the room, Tessa. And so um, I always talk about the youth employment sector as one of those sectors that I think is almost working against young people sometimes. But it, it makes somebody rich. Somebody's <laughs> getting that money. Um, but nobody needs to account for if we give you this money from the jobs fund, mm. how are you um, held accountable for making sure that the young people that you said you're going to place actually get into sustainable jobs. Mm. We're spending billions, billions between private sector, public sector, and the NGO sector for youth jobs, and nobody's being held accountable for the return on that investment. Mm. Svisa Shezi joins us as well, National Spokesperson of Black Business Federation. Um, and, you know, Svisa, we, we're looking to you also to give us some sort of, what are you looking to hear from Sona today? What is that one thing that you wish to hear from tonight's speech? Uh, greetings, uh, Pamela, and to all the listeners of the SAFM. Um, I will concur with my fellow uh, contributors on the show in terms of their input. I think as a uh, as an ordinary citizen, maybe first, um, I would say uh, if I were a serial president, I mean, if I were President Cyril Ramaphosa, we wouldn't expect much on his side. Um, there is no point for him to keep uh, over-promising. Um, if I were him, I'll go back to the past speeches I've made in the past and see how much I've implemented. Try and quantify and try and come up with um, timelines in terms of what needs to be done, how it should be done, because this whole uh, euphoria of keep making promises after promises is not assisting the economy and is definitely not assisting uh, South Africa as a whole. But as the Black Business Federation, uh, representing SMMEs, small SMMEs in the black communities, we're expecting clear plans in terms of how small businesses are going to be uh, integrated into this uh, new normal. Um, our businesses have been closed down uh, forcefully because we're observing the protocols, because we're also trying to contribute into saving lives. But uh, when we are trying to restart the economy, there is no clear plan in terms of how are we going to be integrated back into the system. Uh, some businesses have closed for real. As much as we have lost lives, but we have also lost businesses, and there is no clear plan. Uh, in terms of government, in terms of what is going to be done to assist these SMMEs uh, to, 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 to come back and employ and grow the economy. Let me go to Kolani uh, from Umlazi. Kolani, thank you so much for calling. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. How are you? 
I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much I'm for calling. Fine. Okay, let me just divert a little bit because uh, uh, I see that most of the people, in, especially in our country, we rely much in, on government. Though they are the custodian of the country, they need to give us direction. But also, like for instance, with the young ones, because me, I always say that even the professors at the university level, they are failing the young ones because they normally now focus on politics rather than uh, creating this the path where the children or the young ones are coming. Because there's no uh, interaction or integration between the industry and the university because there are causes that currently right now they are irrelevant to the status quo. Obviously, we need to evolve regarding the technology. For a person like uh, who's doing HR, like in my company I've worked, all of us have got one person because most of the things are done technologically, they were retrenched. But now, how many, they are in thousands now. We are creating an that now someone should come and work. But there's no, there's no, like in the area where they are coming, they, they won't be able to find jobs. Because even the professors, hopefully they are the ones supposed to create them to go to the industry and then check. Well, because right now, the industry is ahead of the universities and technical and the, our colleges. Because now, even the industry now, they don't train. They need to. That's why it's easy if you have worked to rotate companies as, person for, uh, as compared to a person coming straight from school. Because now it's all about production and the money, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Even the government has tried to give incentive to, to the okay, uh, for every company to employ someone. But now the government they don't they don't look how in terms of the implementation. Because now finance industry is also rotating with the young ones that given one year you go. And then, but they are getting money from the government. Mm. But now, the, those kids, they are not also equitable in terms of to come and sit in there. And that's right. For the person who already have got experience, you will change jobs easily as compared to someone coming from school because the professors are failing the young ones. Thank you so much, Tolani. Thank you so much. Tessa, we spoke a little bit about FETs, but in its entirety, our entire education system, from basic education all the way up, does it speak to the vision of the country? Well, in many ways it does not. Um, so I will say that FETs or CVET colleges are probably the best grounds we have right now in terms of preparation because many of the skills there are not going to be skills that are going to be easily replaceable. Um, a lot of them are also targeted in terms of kind of sectors that have a lot of human um, needs, human capability needs, as opposed to tech needs. So I think the TV sector, again, is underutilized in terms of what we're thinking about for the future. Of course, for basic education, one of the biggest gaps there, uh, well, there are two actually. One is the entrepreneurial training and being able to teach critical thinking skills and the skills that are needed for, for IR economy, mm. which are really about problem solving, critical um, thinking, and innovation. Mm. And we need to be starting that at the basic education level and then dovetail that with some of the digital skills that of course young people will need whether they get into the digital economy as you know coders and in the tech space or whether they're going to use those technologies in order to create businesses and and you know innovate other spaces mm-hmm. so we have those two parts that we certainly need to grow um dbe had started on that course but of course COVID has shown that they've mm-hmm. got bigger problems right now mm-hmm. um but the, the sector is not um looking and saying here is the vision we are having to like patch it together. And then universities are not playing their role either. I think there's a very good point made um, around whether universities are actually training people mm. to go into the economy 
and actually be creators of the economy mm. as opposed to just be people who are going to look for jobs that mm. may be obsolete. Yeah. Um, a university training should be something that gives you the critical skills that regardless of what the content of yes. your education was, mm. you are able to come out of there and create new things. I yeah. think people go from one degree mm. and end up being entrepreneurs in completely different spaces mm. if their education was good enough. Mm. Jimmy, you're calling us from Khobogwan in Hai. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Madam Molly. I'm well. Thank you for calling, Jimmy. Good, good. Look, I think uh, our, the government has reached what I call a political descent. Mm. Uh, the reason why I'm, I'm raising this, actually the issue here is not even the universities. Mm-hmm. The issue here is the basic education. Now, how do we address the challenges ahead with the current education system that we have? Number one, what we need to do uh, is that we need to introduce, there are set five schools in this country that offer what you call the agricultural science or agricultural study at the basic level. Remember agriculture, it also contributes immensely on the uh, GDP of this country. But only five schools, one in Freinareng and the others in, 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 in Free State. Secondly, I'm, and I'm happy that there's a, there's a voice that uh, there's the, 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 that, that, that lady who represents the youth then. Yes, Number two, what needs to be done, uh, ma'am? Remember when they created the TVET colleges, mm-hmm. the idea was to can bridge the, bridge the gap of, 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 of the skill shortages in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what needs to be done, we need to get rid of the tender system. And I'll tell you why. Let's employ qualified project managers at the local municipality engineers who are qualified, right? Instead of going to the to the to the tender and system, let's go to the TVET colleges. And I remember I wrote an email to Namela um, asking him how much are we spending uh, by taking these young people to the school, particularly TVET colleges, mm-hmm. because there they are doing the practical work, mm. right? If the municipality have a project where they are doing a construction of the road, tar road, and community wall. Take the young people from the TVET colleges. Let them be the one doing that particular job. Because remember, you have employed qualified project manager, qualified civil engineers, qualified uh, architects who are going to monitor uh, those projects in that particular uh, municipality. That's question number two. But with regard to, to the education system, I think maybe we need to take it back on the agenda. University doesn't have a problem. The problem is on the basic education. If we can get our basic education correct, I'm telling you, we are going to move South Africa forward. Thank you so very much. Appreciate it, Jimmy. I'll be back with more in a short while. Let me just take a quick break and I'll also be back with some of your voice notes. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Hi, Pimelo Pure here in Alex. We are beating around the bush here and... Uh, We've been doing that uh, year in, year out. You know, I get COVID. I get the fact that COVID has really changed a lot of things here. But you know what, Pimel? At the end of the day, we need land. Without land, we are nothing. And without land, you always have Alex and Santin. They have notes and they have. Without land, you always have corruption. You always have crime. Without land, Pimel, they'll always not be peace in real terms in the country. 
So we really, really need to address the issue of land once and for all. And all other issues will be addressed, I promise. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I think uh, tonight I'm expecting uh, the president to talk a lot about uh, the construction of the gravel roads in the rural areas because we have suffered a lot during the rainy time, you know. So we couldn't drive, we couldn't go anywhere because the roads were muddy. So it's very, very bad, you know, in, especially in the rural areas. Uh, and also the issue of uh, unemployment. I think uh, he must address he must address that issue and uh, implement it, you know. So you know, and uh, one other thing is uh, education. So I think our learners should be given the laptops uh, because uh, they are now no, no longer going to the school uh, every day. They study through the WhatsApp groups and Facebook, and some of them wish uh, they don't have those smartphones, you know, to to catch up with uh, with their teacher subject. So I think uh, they must do something better on coming to that issue. Jeffrey from Rastenberg. Thank you very much. All right, let me come to you, Sviso. Um, you know, we, we are hearing a lot. Um, you keep emphasizing the issue of the, 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 the 12 billion rand rollout plan. What are your concerns around some of the, the, the plans that government has for SMMEs? Um, our main concern as SMMEs and as BDF uh, is that there is no clear plan in terms of what, how are we as small businesses, are we, what role are we playing? Um, if, 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 if government were, was serious, uh, there should have been a clear program in terms of at a government level, national, provincial and, and district level, in terms of how small businesses clear set aside um, to say we are here to empower those SMMEs. All this uh, rollout of the vaccine from procurement to logistics to, to warehousing, you, you name it, SMMEs does have the capacity to execute and to play a role in that space. But if I mean play a role, I don't mean that uh, when the, 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 the contracts are being advertised uh, to the national database, uh, we should be given on, 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 on the silver platter. What I'm saying is there should be set aside, clear set aside, to say uh, as a district of Malamlele, we want SMMEs to be in this database, uh, database um, so that uh, when all these things are done, it's a clear problem that speaks to, uh, to the SMMEs because when you do tender with the big companies, small companies often don't get uh, favorable. Uh, they, they, mm. they don't actually get the job. Mm. So there should be a, a clear set aside for, for, for SMMEs to say, how are they, which role are they going to play? If you take ourselves as DPF, we, we, we've got a lot of associations under us. For instance, we've got uh, Black Independent Private Security Association. Uh, we've also got Black Transport uh, uh, Logistics Association. Uh, that can play a significant role in reducing the pressure in government. But we are not saying government uh, should, should, should cut due processes in terms of giving the, the, the job to Black companies. Uh, we are saying there should be clear programs from government, government 
from provincial to, to local municipalities to say, through this database, this is how things are going to be done. Um, government should use state power just like the apartheid government did to empower uh, the, the, the then uh, uh, government of the day of, of the Afrikaners. I mean, today we're talking of big companies, conglomerates, um, uh, that were formed during apartheid, but we're not looking at the fact that that government was decisive in terms of empowering their own. And we are saying our government should use state power to change the dynamics, to change the status quo of business. Because if we are saying as small black businesses, we must compete with the likes of all these companies that have been getting work from government, we stand no chance. But if we can have clear sets aside and uh, a clear program from government that is going to be monitored from all spheres of government, we are we can see small businesses growing. And it is a it is a given fact that SMMEs are the small are the ones who, who have the ability to grow the economy and employ more people. Whereas if you look at big companies, they they, they are retrenching, they are embracing technology, they are talking about bottom line. But if you empower SMMEs, you can rest assured that those SMMEs are going to employ people and contribute into reducing the unemployment that we are seeing at the moment. Aisha, you're calling from Uppington. Good afternoon. Good afternoon um, to you and your guests. Sure. Good afternoon, Aisha. <sighs> Firstly, hmm. water. My expectation from the ANC government is to provide the entire country with water. If they've done, they can, if they do nothing, mm. this is the one thing that they must do. Mm. They must secure us with water. Every community, and not Jojo tanks, mm. water. Mm. Secondly, how we take us out of the pits is land. Agricultural land and how this farming is going to work because we are dealing with climate change, we are not looking at, at crops that has traditionally been planted. Here IKS comes into the play. In indigenous crops mm-hmm. and how this farming is going to be done is that the community is going to own 80% share and the white farmer is going to own 20% share and they're going to collaborate and that's how we're going to grow the agricultural sector exports and everything okay and now to what Tessa was saying about SMEs and fiefdom she's exactly right including I'm glad that 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 somebody said about the NGO sector the ecosystem has to be built so that there is we can cut up the system. That's all that I want to say. Thank you so much for that, Aisha. You know, Tessa, and this is unfortunately going to be the last comment. Uh, Maybe you'll wrap it up as well. Um, The issues that still come up are basic, basic service delivery issues. You know, water, um, small, small issues. So we've still got to get those right, Tessa. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the nub of what was just said now mm. is really what's important. Mm. Mm. Get to the local community level, mm. have a scan of the environment and understand how do we make each community work. Mm.
what COVID taught us was that we cannot be in an environment anymore where I live in a rural village, mm. but the nearest place that I can do groceries mm. requires me to get onto two taxis. Mm. When there's land next to me, when there are people who have the capacity to farm in my area, where there are small businesses who are in their houses as opposed to in some part, kind of marketplace, it, it just it's untenable. And so we need to start saying, let's work one community at a time. Let's get community ecosystems working, community entrepreneurship working, the use of our natural resources and our human resources in our communities, and start making it about how we get people's lives to work so that the young person comes out of school, can go to the FET that's not far away, and be the person that actually builds the road. Hmm. That's the ecosystem that we need. And if the president wants to do something important tonight, he needs to give us some clear step-by-step guidelines hmm. as to how we're going to get this com- this economy built from the bottom up as opposed to these kind of grand plans from the top down. Really, thank you so much for both uh, for being with us this afternoon. A lot to think about. Sfisoth Shezi, thank you so much as well for your contribution. I really appreciate it. And we obviously are looking forward to Sona today. Tessa Dooms as well. Thank you very, very much for your time. It brings us to two o'clock. I'm going to go to Utila Saoki in a short while. But after two, we do have the Men's Forum because today is a Thursday. And what are we discussing today? We're discussing mental health, something that has been coming up over and over again during this men's forum and we are finally going to be tackling it this afternoon so you can start dialing in if you you feel like something is going on with you and you're not able to share it with anybody or you have not been able to reach out for help 011-714-2006 it is a safe space i promise you you know that it is and uh, we will have somebody who will really be quite sensitive about your issues whatsapp notes on 0614-104-107 it's two o'clock